Hello, welcome back to another episode, Foundations of Freedom, Green Dragon Podcast. We're back another week, another installment of uh, of my favorite uh, my favorite episodes where I get to talk a little history with y'all. These are these are good, and I was actually really excited about this one. I've spent the last what guys? I think we spent about three weeks preparing for this one. I even bought a book and read it, which is unlike or. I shouldn't say I read it. I've been I've been reading it. Um, read it would imply I finished it, which I have not. <laughs> um, but for me to prepare for a podcast with some actual physical literature is um, a little unheard of. Uh, usually, it's usually it usually includes a lot of um, online research and um, and listening to other podcasts. In preparation for this because i definitely do better preparing for podcasts when i hear things um which we did um we did uh listen to a podcast in preparation for this podcast um that podcast is called let me pull it up here i have the name i don't have it off the top of my head uh the american history hit podcast um and this particular one was the battle of the alamo uh, it was pretty good. It wasn't that long. If you guys like, I haven't listened to many more of these podcasts. Um, I did listen to one today called the origins of the civil war. They actually just posted that today. Uh, and I was on a walk at work and it just started playing because the last one I listened to was from that podcast. And it was also very interesting. Um, so yeah, shout out to the American History Hit Podcast. They're pretty like easy, digestible episodes. Like I think the one we listened to for uh, this one was like 35 minutes. They've got some interesting, they usually bring in an expert. They've got some interesting stuff. It's quick, it's easy, it's simple. Um, it's pretty good. And they have everything. They have a prohibition one. They have um, uh, one on the Amish I saw. So pretty interesting podcast uh, shout out to them um they're doing some pretty cool stuff just wanted to put that out there that's one of the sources we used and then the book i read the this infamous book that i'm gonna i'm gonna get through this because it's a good book it's called sam houston and the alamo avengers by brian kilmead highly recommend this book we were talking about before the podcast um and uh it's excellent i being completely unaware of American history, apparently did not know there was a man named Sam Houston, which the great city of Houston is named after. Um, <laughs> it was, it's, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good book. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I did not know. I, I guess I'd heard the name Sam Houston before. I never put two and two together. Um, Andrew Jackson's protege, uh, obviously, um, he settled the area that is now Houston, Texas. He was given a bunch of land out there and um, pretty interesting guy overall. So we'll talk a little bit about him today. Uh, but the main topic for today's show is obviously the Battle of the Alamo. Um, this is a this is an interesting event because it's the event itself did not even happen in at that time or in America. At that time, I mean, now, obviously now America, um, the city of uh, San Antonio. But at that time, this was uh, smack dab in the middle of Mexico. <laughs> so it's it's a little bit funny. It's, it's a little bit funny to think about um, something that seems so like such an American moment, but actually was part of a revolution that took the Texas Revolution, which was Texas breaking free from Mexico. So it's kind of wild. It's it's kind of wild to think that, okay, this isn't actually like any, this has a lot more to do with sort of Mexican history and Texas heritage than it does actually sort of American history. Um, obviously, it's important in American history because now Texas is the greatest state in America. Uh, <laughs> but but technically this is uh the story of uh the beginning of texas's freedom from mexico so pretty interesting to think about there um this is probably the most pivotal moment in the texas revolution i think um and this particular conflict is probably for such a short revolution because the texas revolution was really 
less than a year, which is crazy to think about. So they fought for less than a year. But this battle had to be one of the longer battles in 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 the in probably North American history, with it spanning from February 23rd, 1836 to March 6th, 1836. Um, so that's a pretty long battle for um such a short, you know, war um and revolution that was successful. Um so the Alamo. As you can see by, this is a, the Alamo, our lovely backdrops, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, which you're probably not. But we have the the infamous, um, we have the infamous, I, I think this is the, uh, this is the chapel behind us, if I'm not mistaken, Jake. That's right. Great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is what, what everybody thinks of when you hear the Alamo. That's, right. the, least that's the visual that I get. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I think the chapel was built in the mid seven uh, was it mid seventeen hundreds I think um, somewhere yeah, around it, there it was it was old even at that point yeah yeah and and I, I mean the Alamo Mission um, obviously has been around even longer than that the Alamo Mission was a historic Spanish mission um, then turned uh, started out as as a mission to populate. Um, what at the time was uh, the Spanish-owned territory, Spanish-owned territory of, I think they called it Tejas. It was spelled like T-E-J-A-S or something like that. Something dumb. Uh, yeah. Spanish-owned. <laughs> Texas is way better. Uh, <laughs> Tejas is a little, I don't know, it seems a little fruity. Um, but it was founded, it was founded, um, obviously then, it, so it started out as, as basically a way to colonize the, the area, um, in this region. And it was super important, the location of the Alamo, which is modern day San Antonio. And actually, if you, if you've been in San Antonio, you already know this, but San Antonio is located on, on, uh, some pretty important waterways in Texas. Um, and those waterways are still there today. And the reason the Alamo was, um, such an important place is because it was like built right on these waterways. So when the Spanish first got there, they're like, yeah, this place is probably pretty good for us to, you know, build a mission and for um, uh, there to be some viability for people to actually be able to stay here and colonize here. So that's why they built the mission where they built it. And I think that would, so that would have been, um, shoot, I think I want to say, I heard this number floated out there. I could be wrong on this. I think this is around like 1680. Um, so a while back. Um, so it's 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 been it's been there quite a while. Um, I could be wrong on that date. So if um, if I'm incorrect on that, I'm sorry. But I think I heard that in the podcast. I could be wrong. Um, anyways, it's it was it was important um obviously started out as a mission and then it became a fort uh, you know as as it became um as it grew um by the time 18, 1836 rolls around i mean this is a uh the the town is kind of spread out uh behind the fort but the fort itself is there to protect the town and the um the fort it's or the the mission itself is about a four acre compound so it's pretty large um and a little bit later as we get closer to the battle maybe we could take a look jake at that um diagram that you showed us before the podcast but um overall pretty pretty impressive um obviously this changes um this changes hands a little um when the spanish then lose um grasp of uh of mexico and mexico gains its independence um and when mexico gains its independence obviously this becomes um uh the north the Tex texas becomes the northern territory of of uh of mexico so uh it's a pretty uh interesting historic place right from the get-go obviously there was also native american or native texan technically they're not native americans I don't know what they are. I don't know how you classify that. Native Mexican. Native Tejans? Oh, Tejanos. That's what they call Tejanos? them. Tejanos? Is that what they call them, Jake? 
I'm speaking completely Sounds out of pocket. Right. I'm completely out of pocket uh, here. <laughs> yeah, I never, never really, never really thought about that before. But they said it in the a, podcast. I forget did. what they call. It. Yeah. I think it was Te, I think it was the Tejanos. He said like, yeah. And I think what he said is actually those people, um, or those natives, actually um, combined with um, because when the Spanish settlers got there, right, the, the mission was built actually um, so that the um, the Spanish. Uh, settlers um also obviously brought catholicism and they converted all the neighboring basically anybody that was it was kind of the, the spanish mo they just show up and start converting natives um so from my understanding the people that then so the the natives who then obviously intermingled and um and kind of married uh, spanish there became what is considered today as like modern mexicans from my from at least from what the podcast said at least that area like that northern region um so that was kind of interesting but yeah that's a little bit of background on the the alamo here um obviously a pretty important place because of its uh geographic location it it ended up being the crossroads actually for all the major highways all the six major highways that ran through that uh, region of uh, the Texas territory. Um, so when uh, Mexico did sort of inherit that, I guess, or, or gained its independence, um, it became a fairly important trade route. Um, for a long time, the Texas territory, and this is the, the allure of moving to the Texas territory that we chatted a little bit about um, with like Davy Crockett uh, and, and, um, who did we chat about last time? Why is it? Why is it completely Davy Crockett and um, Daniel Boone? Um, oh, oh yeah. yeah, Daniel Boone. Yeah. Both of those guys, obviously. Um, no, not Daniel Boone. Wait a minute. Yeah, no. I think it was just Davy Crockett, right? Davy Crockett or somebody else. Who's the other guy that fought in the Alamo, guys? Why Bowie? is this Bowie? Jim Bowie? Jim Bowie. Yes, he was and another Travis. one. Travis. Travis. Travis was there. Yes. Um, there was somebody else, wasn't there? Maybe I'm completely off. I feel like those are the main three. No, those are the main three. You're right. There could be someone else. Yeah. It was Bowie and Crockett for sure. One of the things with the, both of those guys is they moved to Texas basically to, to get land, to inherit land. And um, oh, I mean, you buy land, I should say, not inherit it. But the land was so much cheaper because... I think at that time to buy an acre of land in the U.S., it was that they had they had hiked their prices up. It was like a buck or something per acre. Of course, you know the American government was getting a little too greedy, and they jacked up their prices to like a dollar, a dollar twenty five an acre or something like that. But you could go to Texas and buy an acre for twenty five cents. Um, so there was a lot of influx of these American frontiersmen that went to Texas because of the cheap land and all this opportunity. Um, so a lot of them, um, like, uh, Sam Austin too, uh, he was, he moved to Texas. All these guys were in Texas because of the, um, prospect of, you know, land and opportunity essentially. So, um, there's this, there's this influx of, um, Americans that are settling this area. And then you have the native Texans, um, and so it's it's kind of this this a little bit of a, a melting pot of people in a lot of these like mission areas and these mission towns, but it offered a lot of um, opportunity for land. So this is a little bit where I want to talk about Sam Sam Houston and Andrew Jackson. Um, so Sam Houston's a pretty interesting character. He fought under Andrew Jackson in the Creek War that we talked about in the Davy Crockett podcast, right? We talked about yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I know we knew absolutely nothing about the Creek War in the Davy Crockett <laughs> podcast, but it, it turns out it's a pretty important war. Um, at least if you're if you're Sam Houston and uh, Andrew Jackson. Um, so uh, so uh, Sam Houston fights under uh, Andrew Jackson in this war. He actually gets injured during one of these battles, takes an arrow to the leg, and he's out of commission. Um, so he kind of goes, uh, the war, the, the, the war kind of gets finished off 
and he goes and he he takes a bit of a rest uh, and a reprieve and uh, he's kind of he turns into a little bit of a drunk <laughs> and he he kind of seemed like somebody that was a little bit in his in his own uh kind of getting a little depressed out there you know just kind of drinking a lot and um at the time Andrew Jackson's making his way up through the ranks you know he goes from general jackson and then he becomes center and then he becomes uh he becomes president um but when he becomes president he makes it his personal mission to investigate taking back the texas territory because this is something i actually didn't know but texas was sort of lost by america because in 1803 when thomas jefferson signed the louisiana territory purchase he thought that the Texas territory was part of the deal. Um, but uh, in negotiating with Spain, so I guess John Quincy Adams somehow was in charge of negotiating with Spain, which, first of all, who let John Quincy Adams do anything? Um, <laughs> John Quincy Adams was in charge of negotiating with Spain, and um, he he lost the Texas territory to to Spain and Spain kept the Texas territory, obviously, as we've discussed. Um, and Andrew Jackson quite literally never forgave Adams for this. And, and to put it simply, Jackson absolutely despised Adams. Um, from my understanding, he thought Adams was a complete idiot. And so this only, you know, added to his, his despise for Adams. Um, but Jackson did make it his personal mission to gain regain uh, the Texas territory one day. So when Jackson becomes president, he hits up um, he hits up Houston, who's kind of his protege at this point. And you know he tried to help Houston get into politics and all these things. It didn't really work out. Houston Houston kind of just seemed like uh, he wanted to be a drunk at this point. Um, he didn't <laughs> seem to have a whole lot of ambition going for him. And so, so he hits up he hits up Houston when when he becomes president. He says, "Hey, listen." He's like, "What do you think about this Texas territory?" And he's like, and he basically says, without saying it, he says, "Here's five hundred dollars." Because Houston didn't have like a freaking penny to his name. He owed owed all these debts, and he's like, "I think he owed actual debts to the U.S. government." <laughs> oh. <laughs> he says, he says, Houston, here's five hundred bucks. Basically, he says, basically, I want you to take these $500 and he said, I want you to go to Texas and he says, I want you to basically feel out the situation in Texas, basically saying he's like, if you want to get the Texans on our side and bring them back to us, he's like, he's like, let's essentially steal Texas <laughs> from Mexico. <laughs> Jackson was Jackson was completely out of pocket. Jackson was Jackson was basically using Sam Houston as a covert operative, sending him down to Texas to start a revolution to, to, to take back Texas because he thought um that you know Texas was rightfully the rightfully ours because we lost it in 1803 when Quincy Adams effed everything up. <laughs> Uh, so 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 that's a little bit of background on why houston then goes to texas and houston goes down and he he meets um uh austin and and um, they actually give him a large plot of land which i forget how many acres he actually got gets but it ends up being the area right on the coast um where houston is today um but it's quite a bit of land and obviously he settles that um but that he he kind of kicks he kind of kick starts at least the, uh, I don't know if he kickstarts the idea of a revolution there, but I think to a, a certain extent, he starts planting the seed, at least in guys like Austin's head, um, that, you know, it's it's time for Texas to, to be independent um, from Mexico. Um, because at this time, kind of pivoting a little bit here, you know, I used the fancy word pivot, um santa anna is uh in in charge in mexico now santa anna is an interesting character so antonio lopez de santa anna um pretty central figure in mexican politics during the 19th century uh and he plays a pretty crucial role in um the nation's history and uh his 
I don't know if I would say Santa Ana's, you know, legacy is very much liked. I think it depends on who you're talking to. Um, but most people don't like Santa Ana in Mexico, um, at least from my understanding. So he, Santa Ana initially gained prominence as a military officer, and he distinguished himself during the Mexican War of Independence against Spain, 1810 through 1821. Um, he earned the rank of the general. Um, after Mexico gained independence in 1821, country faced all sorts of political instability. Um, and that's kind of when Santana pivots into, into politics. Now, it's, it's important to note that Santa Ana, you know, he fought on the side of Mexico gaining independence from Spain. And in doing so, he was, you know, fighting for the Republic of Mexico, right? Well, of course, as soon as Santa Ana gets a little bit of taste, a little bit of taste in politics, he forgets all about that, all about the people he fought for and this, you know, the Republic of the people. And he's supposed to be, you know, on the people's side. And um, and he starts like gobbling up power. Uh, he starts getting a little power hungry. And so he goes from this this um, person that was fighting for the Republic, the people's rights. And then all of a sudden he swings complete opposite end of the pendulum and he's um turns into this, you know, centralist, basically dictator, because uh, one of the issues in the Republic of Mexico in those eight, that 1810 to 1821, that time frame, um, they had 20 presidents in 12 years. Well, so imagine, imagine <laughs> when I say political instability, um, we have basically two presidents a year. Uh, that, that doesn't lead to a lot getting done. Um, it wasn't very efficient. I mean, in 12 years, I think in American history, I think we had at, at maybe at that point in time, I think if you take the 1810 to 1821 years, I think we literally had like three presidents. So when you put that into perspective, you're like, oh, um, yeah, that's a that seems like it might be difficult. So he takes advantage of this a little bit. Um, and he uses this to gain control. Basically, he was in control of the military already as general. And then he takes over on the political side and he becomes president of Mexico in eight, uh, 1833 for the first time, I think. Um, and yeah, he's not very well liked. <laughs> Let's just put it that way, because he comes in and as soon as he comes into power, um, he, like I said, he changed his basically flip flopped his political ideology. Initially, he supported federalism and then he shifted basically complete opposite to centralism, um, favoring a strong central government um, instead of the state's autonomy and the people's autonomy. So one of the things he does when he comes into power is he. Um, he took away the people's rights um, for autonomy, obviously, um, but he he um, he gets rid of the the Mexican Constitution uh, that was installed um, in 1824. He gets rid of that. He throws that away, and then he he decides it's a great idea to say, "Yeah, so all the military is now going to be centralized under me, the president." And all the government's going to be centralized under me, the president. And <laughs> we're going to need everybody um, to basically turn in their guns. <laughs> and we're going to need to, you know, all these like little militias in the territories and states are going to have to be consolidated. So places like the Alamo that have been these, you know, military kind of sort of militia outposts, sort of, so to speak, um, these out military outposts are basically going to get combined under my command. Um, interesting guy, obviously. Um, this isn't very well liked. So this, so he's already not a fan, like the Mexican people aren't a fan of him, but the the people of Texas really aren't a fan of him. So the Tejanos or whatever we decided to call the <laughs> the Texas, the Texas settlers—they're really not a fan of him. And then mix that with some of these Americans that have moved to Texas. They're really not a fan of that. Um, so obviously, tensions between the Texan settlers and Mexican authorities 
are really coming to a head here. And so this was what takes us into the Texas Revolution. It's important to note that the Texas Revolution was not the only revolution this time. There were other territories in Mexico that tried to have revolutions, but none of them were successful. The only successful revolution at this time, which was basically um, basically the Federalist um, supporters in Mexico, and then there was the Centralists. And essentially, <laughs> Santa Ana put a kibosh to all the Federalists there, except um, this, uh, you know, obviously this territory, which was Texas. So uh, this this gives a little bit of background to the tensions rising uh, before the Alamo, because I think it's important to to understand that a little bit, um, because it is a little bit complicated. Um, so, yeah, um, like I said, you've got that conflict brewing. Um, there was also some disputes from my understanding over issues like slavery too, um, immigration restrictions turned into a big thing because yeah. Mexico had that open, basically an open border policy and they were coming across and Americans were buying land. Um, but they actually shut that immigrant, that border immigration or that immigration down. And they said, yeah, 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 no more immigrants. Um, because I think what Santana realized is actually if we keep letting Americans in, they're just going to eventually, it's just going to eventually become another American you know, colony, American territory. So he mm -hmm. kind of recognized that. So he's like, we got to put a kibosh to this. Um, interesting enough, Sam Houston actually came to Mexico or the Texas territory after that was put in place, but he had good enough connections with um, with Austin that Austin hooked him up with his land. So it didn't stop people, um, but it, it was going on, obviously. So you had the, the slavery issues, immigration issues, um the want for the local autonomy because obviously like texas was like pretty far north um and they were paying settlers correct to bring in more bring in more settlers i know stephen f austin was one of them i forget yeah forget what the term was there was a certain term yeah for the he, people that they basically hire to bring in more yeah more immigrants to texas to mm -hmm. or mexico at the time yeah and mexico is doing it just basically so they had uh they were doing it for a while because they wanted people to settle the territory um and that's why they're bringing in people from that's why basically i mean land was free um for the most part and you could go to texas and get as much land as you wanted to without too much of a problem and then after a while, I think they realized their mistake. They just let a bunch of Americans yeah. into, into yeah. this territory. And, 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 then you had, and then you had Andrew Jackson sitting over there in Washington. He's like, if we just keep pushing people in there, I'll take Texas back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they didn't realize how powerful his uh, personal vendetta was against John Quincy Adams. Yeah. They underestimated him. Jackson really hated it. I, we, <laughs> he, he, he had like this like next level hatred for Quincy Adams. So you just despise that, the man. <laughs> that is funny. That like, I mean, I'm sure there were other reasons, but that that was one of them. For, like that for, freaking, uh, he's like the big territory. He's like, like that. freaking that freaking idiot lost Texas. He's like, he's like, it was ours, and he freaking lost it. <laughs> just you don't mess up, Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. No, it is funny. Um, but yeah, it seems like, like the, the, the new, um, Santa Ana constitution of 1835 was really like, it was the culmination. It was kind of like the bursting point for all this frustration, mm. um, with the Texans and with a lot of the other, um, territories in Mexico. So no, it's, it's, it's very interesting to think of it too. Cause like, I'm still trying to put my head around a little bit the fact that like this still isn't Amer like technically american history technically it's a revolution they fought against mexico yeah um, yeah like no one was thinking about it joining the states at that right. point in time. no yeah. no exactly they were just they just wanted their their sovereignty and yeah, it's pretty interesting and then i mean obviously we'll get to it later but um texas becomes like a, a sovereign nation and um for like what like 
10 years or so 10 to 15 something yeah, 10 like to that 15 yeah. years and sam yeah. houston becomes their president he's their president uh is their first and third president mm -hmm. so it's it's really you forget about that that's actually something that isn't talked a lot about unless you're like in texas and you know learn texas history um it's, it's pretty it's pretty interesting um and you wonder you know it's kind of funny that we're talking about this this uh this topic now because uh right now texas is looking like they might turn into their own little sovereign nation Probably as close as close as they've been since then since those 10 10 or 15 years <laughs> Which yeah, I know. The closest you know, I've gotten. I know we joke like I've joked about it in the past. Like, oh yeah, yeah, Texas leaves leaves the U.S., but like they're pretty darn close to it. Um, actually, funny enough, I don't know if you guys saw this is sidebar here. Um, because we're gonna get into this in a second, but that come and take it cannon flag, um, that they are flying right now, basically saying f you to the government mm -hmm. um because you're not protecting us anymore. You're not protecting our border. Um, they <laughs> that all originated. so this this leads in perfectly. It all originated from the Battle of Gonzales, where um so Santa Ana puts out this decree basically like, okay, you're gonna give up your guns. We're gonna consolidate them. Um, and so, they, you know, there's this general that goes out with some Mexican troops. They go to the city of Gonzales uh, in 1835. This is actually considered, I think, the first battle in the Texas Revolution. Um, They show up in Gonzales to take these cannons. And famously, they say, you know, they're the come and take it cannons. And the Mexican army shows up. And the... <laughs> The Mexican army and the commander was told, whatever you do, don't start a revolution. So they were instructed <laughs> not to fight. So the they show up. They're like, give us your cannons. The Texans are like, no, blah, blah, blah. There's like a little skirmish. But the, <laughs> they, the, the Mexican army then leaves and goes back. And the Texans are like, look at that. We won. <laughs> They're like, we did it, guys. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> that was easy. Um, but it, it turns out, you know, they um, – yeah, <laughs> they hadn't they hadn't one yet, um, but that's where the come and take it cannon flag comes from. It comes from that. So that if you okay. see the come and take a cannon, that originates from the the Mexicans trying to seize the two cannons in Gonzales. Um, so that begins the hostilities. That's kind of like the first official conflict um, mm -hmm. in the uh, Texas Revolution. Um, so that that's pretty interesting. Um, that then pretty much kind of leads into um, basically uh, the, the Mexican army leaves and the Texans are, okay, they're probably going to come back in the spring and try to do it again. Um, turns out they were a little wrong on the timing because Santa Ana then basically um, as soon as this happens – gathers together a pretty sizable force and decides, you know, we're going to go up into Texas. So the Texas territory. So they, they march, they have to, he takes his army, they march, um, which is from what the podcast described, a pretty grueling march. They actually march through a blizzard. They march through a mountain range. Um, you know, a lot of the soldiers die in the way. Um, you know, one of the things mentioned was that a lot of the soldiers like brought their their uh, families with them on this march from the Mexican army. A lot of their families die on this march. Um, but nevertheless, they end up in, you know, right outside the Alamo uh, in Mar or February. So just a few months, uh, basically a few months later and about two and a half, three months early or than the Texans expected um, with this pretty sizable force. So that's kind of what sets the stage for for the Alamo. Um, so yeah, this 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 is this is the 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 culmination, the lead up to the Alamo here. Um, we'll uh, I think Jake maybe will um, pull up that um, diagram of the actual uh, mission and the fortress. Um, but just to just to put this in perspective, when the um, when Santana first shows up. Um, on February 23rd, 
I think at this point there is only the men that were left over from um kind of the battle in the town. Um so there's only like a hundred I think like 50 odd men in the in the mission at this point. Um something around there. Uh obviously, you know, there's some pretty prominent figures. Uh, at the Alamo, William B. Travis, James Bowie, Davy Crockett, um, all defended the Alamo against Santana. Um, but then later, um, uh, they gain more reinforcements. I think that comes in um, March first. So February twenty third is when the Mexican forces arrive or surround the Alamo, um, and then February twenty fourth. Uh, William B. Travis, who's the commander of the Texan force, uh, he famously uh, writes a letter addressed to the people of Texas and all Americans in the world. And he basically – this is the letter where he declares uh, his commitment uh, to defending the Alamo. Um, and he famously states uh, the quote, I shall never surrender or retreat. So um, so this is that's, – that's a pretty uh, significant piece in this. Um, because at that point, actually, when when Santa Ana shows up, they uh, they're given the opportunity to surrender and and live, and, uh, <laughs> and they actually fire a cannon <laughs> in response to that. Um, <laughs> so then, so then, obviously, um, Santa Ana's uh, army raises the I think it's the red flag, which is the no quarters flag, which basically means you're gonna you're gonna die if we get you. Um, everybody's gonna die. So. I think that that sets this up a little bit. Um, so that's February 23rd and 24th, but let's, uh, let's, let me share my screen real quick. Um, for those of you who are watching, we have a, um, we have a diagram of the Alamo. Now, this is pretty good stuff. Um, this is actually really interesting. Jake shared this with us before the podcast. Okay. Can you guys see that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. perfect. I'm going to zoom in a little bit there just to see if that helps. It wants me to sign in to Facebook, but I'm not going to do that. Um, so this is a this is a um, diagram of the Alamo. Now we had said it was four acres, and obviously, what everybody thinks of when they when they think of the Alamo is the picture that's actually behind us in all of our backgrounds, which is the chapel, uh, which was built in 1757. And um, this is kind of the, you know, the famous, famous area. Um, but to describe it for you listeners out there, I would, um, it's, it's what you think of when you think of a fort. It's a walled structure. Um, it's pretty rectangular in shape. Um, this area, for those of you who are uh, watching this, that's kind of um, highlighted in, purple um right here i think that's the original um that's the original sort of mission and then everything that was built around it was built for the fort so it's a pretty significant area and when you think of this in um when you think of this in terms of four acres that's a pretty big chunk of chunk of land here um so at all corners of this rectangle here, which is the main fort, you have um, cannons. Um, the biggest cannon that they operated was this 18 pounder here in the uh, the bottom right hand corner. And then sprinkled throughout, they have some other um, eight pounders. They have a couple 12 pounders up on the walls of the um, right at the top of the chapel. Um, there's probably, I think here, there's close to 20 cannons. Now, something very interesting here um, that was pointed out in the podcast we listened to is they have all these cannons, but in order to man all these cannons, you need a lot of people. The 18-pounder cannon requires 8 to 12 people to man, to load, to put back in place, to refire, all that um, obviously the six pounders, the 12 pounders and the eight pounders might require a little less, but when you have this many cannons, um, actually they say they probably would have needed to man the cannons and to have a fighting force around 700, at least 700 people, which is nowhere near what they had. Like we said, they started out with about 150, 
Um, and then it, it grew a little bit because they got reinforcements, um, but not a lot here. As you can see down here, um, the the town of Gonzales is about 76 miles east of here. Um, so that's where that's where the first uh, sort of conflict started. Um, also, some pretty interesting things I'm just reading on this diagram here. If you look at this wall that sort of connects the square um, fort to the chapel, um, that is the palisade. And the palisade had a cannon on it. And it was this is where uh, this would have been the what is this like the southeast wall um, by the chapel. That's actually where Davy Crockett uh, was um, leading his men um here in the south wall close to the six pounder um cannons here is actually where jim bowie was killed um so there's some interesting things noted here um we can maybe share this in the footnotes of this podcast um but it's it's fairly interesting so that's kind of a, a general layout this is a pretty big space um you know there's a total of about i think um on on march 1st 1836 um a group arrives to the alamo and i it, it says here in my notes there's 300 reinforcements i think that's 300 total with the reinforcements um i i might have to double check on that there's not many of them um yeah. there's not many of them at all um that's that's pretty significant too knowing that they came in after santa Anna had raised mm -hmm. the blood red flags so, exactly like they knew mm -hmm. that they, they knew, knew that, they uh, knew what they were getting into no yeah yeah wow. exactly and and they kind of had to probably sneak into i mean this when when we say this place was surrounded like four acres surrounded i mean the the mexican force that surrounded it was quite literally surrounded um I forget the exact numbers. Jake, do you know how many um, Mexican troops there were? I, I yeah, would say it's I've close heard, to like. Four. I know there's a range, but it was like between six and 8,000. I'll double check. Yeah, that's pretty significant. Quick. And if I remember right, the death toll, we'll get to this in a little bit. Obviously, everybody in the Alamo was killed. Um, except I think the women and children. I think the women and children were spared because there was also women and children in the Alamo as well. Um, Mm -hmm. families of the soldiers um or the men in the alma but sorry, sorry to cut you oh off. yeah no, you're uh, good. context it's between 1800 and 6000 mexican soldiers so i was a little little uh still, overestimated so, but that's a pretty pretty wide range that so is a wide range but that's know, still but still, still a I lot mean, more than 200 i mean we're either i mean even 1600 we're talking you know eight to eight to one <laughs> eight to one yeah exactly yeah um and obviously, you know, they're dug into the Alamo here, but they're also surrounded. So, I mean, like, I mean, that's the, the only reason they were able to withstand that many troops for that long is because of the um, fortifications. But it's still, um, yeah, they're they're greatly outnumbered here. Um, yeah, so this is this is quite this is quite significant. Um, it, if we're going on the timeline here, so March 1st, there's some reinforcements that arrived. But um, March second, uh, Texas, uh, there's a there's a delegate at the convention um, of eighteen thirty six uh, uh, at Washington on the broad uh, at uh, Washington, uh, and they um, formally declare Texas's independence from Mexico. So that's March second. So this is like mid battle, uh, um, a little bit mm. late. <laughs> you, you figure you're already you're already fighting you know Santander better know that they've already yeah. declared their 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 independence from mexico but nevertheless <laughs> they they declare it mid-battle um on march 3rd 1836 so texas the texans appeal for aid um so travis actually sends out couriers to seek reinforcement and supplies basically to find out basically to i mean there's nobody close enough um you're kind of out there and so they're not able to get reinforcements um obviously like guys we're we're talking about like a couple weeks here um but these are these are kind of the important um timeline notes here on uh, march 5th uh, obviously the the mexican forces 
forces launch a series of small skirmishes. And this is kind of where they test the Alamo's defenses. And I think one of the things that they realized is even with all these cannons, they're still pretty, the, the um, forces protecting the Alamo, pretty um, undermanned. Uh, there was, when we're talking about the cannons here um, on both sides, um, there was two different types of shots. So there was, um, I forget exactly what they call it, but there was these cannon, um, they would shoot either just, you know, normal projectiles or they would shoot these projectiles basically that would explode midair um, and rain shrapnel down. I forget what they're called. They're oh. called like a... Oh shoot! It's gonna drive me nuts. I think it was like I want to say it was something along the lines of a. Oh, let's see here. I thought I had it in my notes. Anyways, so just kind of to give you an idea, like these, it's, it was a pretty um serious. Like I mean, this is a pretty intense battle, um, even before the walls were breached. Mm. But then, on March sixth, before dawn. This is sort of the final assault. Santa Ana orders a final assault on the Alamo. Um, they, the Mexican forces within like an hour have breached nearly all but one wall. And that one wall is actually that south of, if we pull up that map, here, let me pull up that map again. Um, if we're looking at this, um, this picture here, uh, that, that palisade that was defended by Crockett, that's sort of the last wall that hasn't been breached. All the other walls have been breached. Um, it's not looking good uh, at this point. So all these other walls have been breached. Um, it's hand-to-hand combat everywhere within the walls of the Alamo. Um, obviously, it go, you know, after, I mean, there's there's famous pictures. Let me see if I can actually find some. But you'll see these these depictions of the Alamo fighting. You'll see the, the Texans firing down their muskets um at uh the mexican soldiers that are climbing walls trying to breach the walls you'll see um and then the most famous pictures i would say are always the um the pictures of um or the depictions of uh, the hand-to-hand combat going inside uh going on inside the walls and those yeah. are kind of the the really um let me try to find a few um pictures um there's the obviously the famous one with Davy Crockett, but um, let's see here. Oh, this is the this is the cool one. Um, this is a uh, we won't get copyrighted if we give them a little credit. This is on the History Channel's website, folks. This is one of those famous pictures. So you know you've got the uh, the um, uh, the mission, the chapel. And then here you've got the Mexican uh, and the, the Texan forces going at it. There's Davy Crockett. Uh, he's at this point, they're using their, their muskets as clubs because they're all out of ammo. You see guys with, you know, save the, their swords, bayonets. Um, it's pretty much hand-to-hand combat at this point. Um, kind of those last moments at the Alamo. So, it's a pretty brutal battle. Obviously, um, it ends, um, you know, after this fierce resistance, uh, with the with the you know the defenders being overwhelmed, Alamo falls to Mexican forces, um, and everybody in there is obviously killed. Uh, I think the women. I, I I'm not sure on the women and children because I know there was about twenty women and children in the Alamo. I think they were spared, probably. Not totally sure on that um probably should know that but uh no all the defenders are obviously killed um yeah uh so that you know i mean guys like uh travis bowie crockett all killed in battle um but what happens obviously with the end of this battle is that it um you know creates even more of a battle cry for the for the Texan um the mm-hmm. Texan revolution. So pretty pretty awesome. And then obviously that's where the phrase remember the Alamo comes from. Um so and then if you guys you know want to read this book, Sam Houston the Alamo Avengers, a couple weeks later, um Texan forces led by Sam Houston. 
uh, go and uh, defeat the Mexican army at the Battle of San Jacinto, I think is how you pronounce it. I could be pronouncing that wrong. It's a J word. It's Mexican, so I think it's huh. If I've learned anything from jalapeno. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's San Jacinto. Um, so obviously that that that's um that's a pretty important battle after. Um that that one actually Santana's captured in that battle. Um I'm pretty sure he loses a leg, and then a treaty is signed recognizing Texas independence. Um so that's that's pretty important. So obviously, if you want a little bit of the story of the aftermath, I'm getting there in this book. I'm still kind of at the 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 first half of it, but this book's good. Um, yeah, same Houston, the Alamo Avengers, pretty interesting stuff. Um, and I know Santana basically that was an exchange for his life, right? That he mm -hmm. that he and they basically uh, said you can go back. Gave up Texas, so and like you can go back. Yeah. To Mexico, that if you was, give us that Texas. was how little little conviction he had about <laughs> his own cause. <laughs> he was like, he's like, I don't yeah. care. Just send yeah. me back there so I can trick him a bunch more. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, it'll take him a while before they send me to Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, the Battle of San uh, Jacinto is actually fought in April on April twenty first, eighteen thirty six. So, like, when we're looking at that timeline, I mean. Shoot, I mean, they the the Alamos fought in you know late February, early March, and by April 21st, they've essentially gained their independence. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty honestly pretty successful revolution right there. Yeah. Pretty yeah. successful. Uh-huh. Pretty impressive. Was uh. so it's like less than a year. <laughs> that's gotta be close like, to a record. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I think officially they declared their independence March second. <laughs> and and um and they uh and they gained it. I mean recognizing the independence, the treaty that was signed was April twenty first. So I mean quite literally a little over a month. <laughs> like a month and wow. a half. <laughs> um, so, I mean, pretty impressive. That's all I got to say. Impressive. Pretty impressive. Um, so that obviously led to the Republic of Texas. Um, so with the, the uh, signing of the treaties of uh, Valesco, as I think they were called, um, Texas gained the de facto independence. Um, Republic of Texas was established and Sam Houston was appointed first president or elected first president of Texas. But, you know, overall, I think it's a really, uh, it's an, it's an amazing story. And mm -hmm. for it to not even really be at that time directly tied to like American, obviously there's a lot of Americans there. I mean, Sam Houston's like right in Jackson's back pocket. Uh, <laughs> he went, he went down there to, to regain Texas and he kind of did his job. Um, but it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, you know, it was, um, for such a short period of time. And I know there was a lot of lead up to this, but it's a really complex like series of events that are driven, were driven by like a lot of cultural factors. You had all the, all of the, the pushes, um, you had a lot of pushes from, you know, obviously the people of Mexico, um, not liking their, you have all the things that were going on in the Mexican government with, um, with this this great turnover, and then Santa Ana coming in, and then people not being happy with Santa Ana, and then Santa Ana becoming a dictator. Um, you had uh, all these Amer this influx of Americans into Texas. So a lot of like cultural, political, economic factors that all like led to this revolution that really didn't last that long and was very successful. Um, and it's amazing because none of the other uh, Mexican revolutions or the, the revolutions of any of the other Mexican territories were successful. Mm -hmm. um, so it's pretty, uh, it's pretty awesome. And I think it, um, it seems like the perfect, I mean, like this is like kind of what sets Texas's destiny to be this like sort of independent um yeah hard knock hard knock state once it does become a official part of the u.s but to be their own republic too i i think it's cool at least that they're they were a republic for 
for uh, a, at least a couple of years, even if it wasn't more than 10 to you know, 10 years. I mean, it's still, it's still pretty darn cool. Yeah. No other state could say that. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. And like they fought for their own independence. Like there was no help from the American government here. I mean, you had some Americans fighting, but there was no like direct aid to the Texas revolution. So they're self-made. They get a, they get a, (laughs) they get a, they get a a gold star. There there was no handouts. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, did I did I miss anything, guys? I feel like um, I, I feel like was, I ran that through pretty, that pretty, pretty comprehensive. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was. Uh, I think I yeah, the, all the main ones. Main yeah, points. I mean, I know the battle. Like, there was there's a lot more obviously there, mm-hmm. but I think the really fascinating thing here is all the lead up to the to the battle to actually the revolution in general. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's so many like different factors there. Like I said um like just in this if you read this book alone i mean just studying sam houston and like kind of the cultural dialogue in the u.s in regards to the texas territory all the things that were going on um and then i'm sure if you look on i mean do dig in on the other end of it and look at you know all the the mexican people that were in the texas territory that were unhappy with santana i'm sure there's a lot more there or just unhappy with their government structure in general um and what's really crazy to think is like mexico wasn't even i mean mexico fought their war for independence and what did we say it was 18 was it 1821 did they gain independence 21 um mexican war of independence was 1810 through 1821 so they gained independence in 1821 then you know 15 years later they're having another they're having several more revolutions like what a tumultuous time in mexican history too um to like go through 20 presidents and then and then have you know they just gained their independence 20 presidents they get a dictator they have another revolution and then really i mean then there then there then there's the mexican-american war and that's something we obviously will probably get to here soon Mm-hmm. But then, um, I mean, the Mexican-American War is really where we uh, we grab Texas for ourselves. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's it's an interesting time in history. This is one I feel like. I mean, I don't know if you guys agree with me. This is one I feel like that kind of it it doesn't get pushed under the rug. I wouldn't say that. I feel like it isn't covered that in depth. I feel like it's yeah. a lot of, I think this is a, a period in time that I think a lot of people, War of 1812, and then they're like, oh, and then the Civil War. And then they're mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, there was this. And I think part of it's because obviously you have the War of 1812. That's important. Don't get me wrong. But um, you've got the the Texas Revolution, which is its own sort of revolution, and it doesn't really get tied into American history until they become a part like texas history doesn't become part of american history or the american history books until they become a state um until they join the states i should say so i feel like that's a lot of times why it gets overlooked but it is it's like very interesting to learn about all these different things um that were going on because they're i mean they're just as important in american history as everything else that was going on um obviously you know if you look at the impact that it makes the if if texas doesn't get and they probably would have gained their independence at some point but like if they hadn't gained their independence you know how long would they have stayed part of mexico um would it have led to a bigger war down the down a bigger version of the mexican-american war so there's a lot of things there um yeah uh, it's it's very interesting um this this period of time Watching the chain of events really is uh, just pretty, yeah, pretty eye opening. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, just it, seeing it may- that impact. Like, if you take that further, you were saying if they don't gain independence, we have a bigger Mexican American war. Yeah, then may- maybe we don't even have a civil war then if we're all united sure. against yeah. Mexico. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you never know. Yeah, you can I mean- you can go any any number of ways with it. Yeah, 
Yeah, and yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I'm sure people do study this, but it feels like this is overshadowed a lot by this time period and the events that are going on out west are a little bit, or the southwest, I should say, are um, are kind of overshadowed by the lead up to the Civil War a lot of times. Because, I mean, at this at this point, we're like 1836, you're like full lead up to the Civil War in a lot of places. Like yeah. the South's already really pissed off. <laughs> like the South is not happy. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's 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 pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I this was a great one. I I mean, we'll see what we do for the next um, episode, obviously, but we might stay because this is an interesting point in American history. We may just you know float in this time period for a while and check out some of these other characters because i mean like we've we've got like guys like sam houston obviously andrew jackson's a, a, a pretty big um part of this era too yeah. um you've got guys like uh like i mean like even just even just following like austin's journey to texas and all that would be would be pretty interesting there's a lot going on here um obviously i think we should cover the mexican-american war there's there's a lot to be explored in this in this um in this point of time this area of american history so we'll keep you guys posted on our next uh episode but yeah do you guys have any uh last thoughts i'm, I'm just gonna say i kind of i want to read the book now you sold it yeah you sold it's it a good well. book it's, God, uh, even if you don't read yeah. it honestly mm -hmm. as long as they have a decent person reading it it probably yeah. it's like it's written in a very I did Maybe. find it on Audible, so I got. Did you find there. it on Audible? Okay. I'm yeah, looking I'll to see if out. I'm looking to see if there was an ex excerpt that I could. Uh, um, it's it's written very. It's not written like your normal historical book. It's written almost like a biography. I. It's it's different. It's different. Like this part, um, this little passage here. Sam Houston's fall from grace was far from President Jackson's only concern. While his protege was off drowning his sorrows with the Cherokee, uh, Jackson worked hard to undo what he saw as one of the biggest mistakes of, of the previous occupant of the White House, John Quincy Adams. To put it bluntly, Jackson hated Adams. First of all, he hated him for having beaten him in the presidential election of 1824. Although Jackson won by the popular vote by a solid margin, he got less than the required majority of electoral, electoral votes. So that's just kind of like style writing there. Pretty easy to read. Pretty entertaining. Yeah, pretty um, smooth style. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did not mention this. Houston did live with the Cherokee for a while. He was... Um, I think he grew up, he was part of the Cherokee. He married a Cherokee Indian, I think. And then, you know, he, after his whole debacle <laughs> and his, his drinking, he kind of like went, he went and lived with the Cherokee and was just a drunk. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then Jackson, and then Jackson pulled him out. <laughs> uh, so uh, to go to Texas. So it's pretty interesting. Now this is a it's a it's a good book for everybody that's listening. Uh, Brian Kilmead, um, Sam Houston and Alamo Avengers. Go check it out. But yeah, guys, that's all I have. That's what I have for this one. Great. I think it was an interesting episode. Um, a lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool background. And um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to start researching for the next one. I like the um cadence that we got these going on because i felt like with this one i actually did get to sit down and do a little bit more research and get into it a little bit more than some of our previous episodes not to say that our previous episodes were bad but like really sit down and digest the material put it together our uh put together the, the outline and then and really get into it mm -hmm. and um it's it's a lot it's you feel a lot more fulfilled like when you get in and you're like doing the actually getting in and doing the research so um hopefully you guys everybody that listened enjoyed this episode yeah, I, I thought it was really fun i mean like yeah. just it seems like you were saying it's totally right where it's going a forgotten part of the history mm. they're very pivotal you know right very, yeah, yeah yeah 
Yeah, you look at, uh, I mean, how it shaped America today, and it's extremely important. And you look at all these figures, like, when you're when you're starting to read these names, like, you're like, there's Austin, there's Houston. <laughs> you're like, yeah. you're like, all these, all these cities that you, you like, you hear the names every single day. Yeah. But then you don't necessarily, um, you know, tie that name back to a historical figure. So, right, right. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to have that. So, yeah, it's a it was good, a good um, refresher on uh, on American history as these episodes always are. For sure. So, yeah. Well, if that's it, I'll close this out for tonight, guys. Thanks, uh, everybody, for tuning into this week's uh, conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I hope you guys enjoyed these um, Foundations of Freedom episodes. You know, we really enjoy doing the research for them. Um, we like putting them out there and, uh, hopefully now with this, uh, every three week cadence that we got here going with these shows that we'll be putting out, um, uh, even more, um, quality content for everybody. Uh, if you like this show and you want to, um, drop us a like, leave us a comment, leave us a review. Uh, I think we're up to four, five-star comments on Spotify or five-star ratings on Spotify. So thank you to everybody that's left me uh, and uh, Jake and Tom uh, a five-star uh, rating on Spotify. We appreciate it. Um, and if much this is your – Yeah, much appreciated. And if this is your first time uh, listening to the show and you want to go find more – and you want more historical podcasts, uh, you can go check out um, the rest of the Foundations of Freedom series that we've done. I think this is about our 14th episode. Uh, we've covered the Civil War. We've covered um, drinking, bourbon, um, yeah, the one. history of bourbon. Um, so a little bit of everything. Uh, so pretty quality stuff. Go and check us out, Green Dragon Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, and True Social. Uh, the Green Dragon Pod on Rumble and Twitter. And you can listen to the show everywhere you go on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, we are on both those platforms. So if you're not a Spotify user, don't worry. We've got you, Apple listeners. Um, but yeah, until next time, be safe, fight for what you believe in, and most importantly, be a good American. God bless. <laughs>